Hello and welcome to Back to Basics Birthing. My name is Vicki Hobbs and I'm here to guide you, support you and provide you with information so you're feeling excited and confident about your birth. Birth is an incredible event, no matter how it happens. So I'm here to help you take the fear out of birth through education, planning and preparation. Episode 15, Protecting Your Rights, Part 2. So following on from my previous podcast on protecting your rights, I'd just like to go a little bit deeper than this. When women experience what they consider to be a bad, difficult, disappointing or traumatic birth, it's important for them to be acknowledged and her feelings validated because this just doesn't go away and they just can't get over it and move on. We know that the way a woman is treated during pregnancy, labour and birth can have a huge impact on her postpartum experience. And so we have to protect the mother and her emotional health. A healthy mother makes a healthy baby. When a woman has suffered during childbirth, she may not seek help for years down the track due to a number of reasons. But regardless of when she seeks help, it is crucial for her to find that help and support and who and her allowed to be listened to which will then start that healing process. Melissa Bruin and Debbie Gould are the founders of birthtalk.org and they co-wrote the book How to Heal a Bad Birth which has gained recognition around the world as a starting point for women to heal their birth trauma. So I really encourage you if you've had any kind of birth trauma to grab this book. How to Heal a Bad Birth by Melissa Bruin, B-R-I, sorry, B-R-U-I-J-N and Debbie Gould, D-E-B-B-Y-G-O-U-L-D. And their business is birthtalk.org. So this book is about helping women identify and understand why they feel their birth was traumatic, making sense of what happened and ways to make it better next time if the woman plans to have more children. Again, what constitutes something bad or traumatic for one woman may be completely empowering and wonderful for another. Most times though, if a woman feels respected, safe, included, nurtured, listened to and all her questions answered, supported by all those in her birth team and felt the experience was one of her birthing her baby rather than birth being done to her, This makes a huge difference to her level of satisfaction. If a woman is faced with fear, guilt, helplessness and even horror, particularly during her most vulnerable moments in labour, then this may have a profound effect on her postpartum period and her future. From a clinical and even community level, leaving the hospital alive with her baby meant that she was successful and that's all that matters. A traumatic birth doesn't have to be one where the baby dies or the mother and baby sustained injuries. When birth doesn't go to plan, some women can feel like a failure, that their body failed them or perhaps they didn't prepare enough or that they should have attended classes instead of just reading a book or they should have done this or they should have done that. They feel sad that they didn't get the experience that they hoped for and they may also feel anger towards the support team for not helping her to have the birth that she wanted. They feel that they weren't listened to or respected when it came to their birth, their body and their baby. They feel that they were just the incubator of that baby. 
their feelings, their wants and needs just didn't matter. All that mattered was a healthy baby. Their rights were stripped away from them. So let's take a look at those organisations that protects the rights of childbearing women here in Australia. So we have RANSCOG, the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. They're the governing body responsible for training and examining obstetricians and gynaecologists in Australia and New Zealand. Now, as I was reading through their guidelines titled Consent and Provision of Information to Patients in Australia regarding proposed treatment, I came across the section titled Duty to Inform of Risks. And this is on page four, paragraph two of those guidelines. And I found this really interesting because I've never come across a woman who has said her care providers explained the alternatives to the treatment. Now, wouldn't that change so many birth outcomes today? It sure would, you know, and this is what we should be striving for. And here's the extract from that document. While the doctor is not required to burden a patient with unwanted information, the doctor is still obligated to explain the procedure to the patient, at least in broad terms, the alternatives to the treatment, the likelihood of a satisfactory outcome, and the more serious and common possible side effects or complications. Information should not be withheld from a patient unless the doctor believes that the patient's physical or mental health could be seriously harmed by provision of the information. So in other words, that care provider should provide women with adequate methods of alternatives to treatment and also give them the opportunity to make an informed choice of what they want to do not what the obstetrician wants them to do. Now we also have the National Guidance on Collaborative Maternity Care and this guideline was released by the Australian Government, the National Health and Medical Research Council, Department of Health and Ageing. And in this document it clearly states a woman decides who she involves in this decision-making process, be it a health professional, partner, doula, her extended family, friends or community. So in brackets, I've, I've uh, indicated that's box 2.2 in that document and should be free to consider their advice without being pressured, coerced, induced or forced into care that is not what she desires. Um, and this is referenced by McLean and Peterson, 1996. Women have the right to decline care or advice if they choose or to withdraw consent at any time. Therefore, if a woman declines care or advice based on the information provided, her choice must be respected. Importantly, women should not be abandoned because of their choices. And the reference there is the FPA Health and Read 2006. We also look at the Australian Medical Association, so the AMA. Even the Australian Medical Association has its own position statement and ethical guidelines surrounding maternal decision making. Please make sure that you print out a copy of the AMA guidelines. And if you don't know where to find those, just send me an email, vicky at vickyhobbs.com and I will happily share that with you. I want you to print out a copy of the AMA guidelines and attach them to your birth plan. So your care providers know that you know your rights when it comes to consent of treatment and recommendations. And this is what those guidelines say. 
So number one, a pregnant woman has the same rights to privacy, to bodily integrity and to make her own informed autonomous healthcare decisions as any competent individual consistent with the legal framework of that jurisdiction. Number two, a pregnant woman's capacity to make an informed decision should not be confused with whether or not the doctor or medical practitioner considers her decision to be reasonable, sensible or advisable. A doctor may not treat a competent pregnant woman who has refused consent to treatment. Recourse to the law to impose medical advice or treatment on a competent pregnant woman is inappropriate. This one, this number two of those AMA guidelines is just so important. Number three, most pregnant women strive to achieve the best possible health outcomes for both themselves and their unborn babies. Because of the interdependence of the maternal-fetal relationship, both the mother and the fetus have an interest in any healthcare decision. In this situation, interest refers to optimal health and well-being. Number four, throughout pregnancy, a woman will make healthcare decisions regarding lifestyle behaviours, as well as medical treatments that impact on her, her own health and well-being, as well as that of the fetus. Lifestyle behaviours include, but are not limited to, diet, exercise, smoking, alcohol, um, licit and illicit drug use, medical treatments that, that include, but are not limited, use of medication, birthing choices, maternal surgery and fetal surgery. Number five, doctors play an important role in supporting pregnant women to make fully informed healthcare decisions by providing advice on the risks and benefits to both the woman and the fetus of lifestyle and medical treatment options. Doctors should provide women with opportunities to ask questions and express concerns over the advice given. In many cases, these discussions may also involve the pregnant woman's partner, other family member or support person. So this again is really important for women who have doulas or um, you know, private midwives who come in working as a support person in the hospital. So that's really important to, to be aware of as well. Number six, in most circumstances, the interests of the mother and fetus converge so that a healthcare decision that is good for the mother is often beneficial or at least not harmful to the fetus. For example, a pregnant woman choosing not to smoke will not only benefit her health, but that of the fetus as well. Number seven, there are situations, however, where the interests of the mother and the fetus significantly diverge. For example, a mother may require medication or surgery to save her life that may cause serious harm to the fetus. Alternatively, the fetus may require medication or surgery to save its life that may cause serious harm to the mother. In these circumstances, the woman is faced with making a decision that may benefit herself while seriously harming her fetus or may benefit the fetus while seriously harming the mother. Again, the doctor should fully inform the pregnant woman of the risks and benefits of the recommended treatment, possible alternative treatments and no treatment, both for herself and her fetus. The mother's fully informed decision should be respected. Number eight, a situation where a pregnant woman chooses not to follow advice might be distressing or challenging to a doctor. For example, where a woman chooses not to undergo a recommended caesarean section for either maternal or fetal indications. 
In these situations, the doctor should explore the woman's reasons for acting against medical advice with her. Number nine, the doctor must respect the woman's informed decision, even if it is not consistent with the doctor's advice, and continue to provide patient support. In the event that the doctor cannot in good faith continue to care for the patient, they have a duty to make timely arrangements for that patient's ongoing care. Number 10, if a pregnant woman's decision-making capacity is in doubt, the doctor should ensure that she is assessed as soon as possible. If a pregnant woman is considered to lack decision-making capacity, referral through the, the appropriate guardianship mechanism should be initiated. So these guidelines are just so incredibly important when it comes to the rights of childbearing women here in Australia. So I really, you know, I implore you to have a look at those guidelines, print them out, have them with your birth plan so that, you know, your care providers can see that you're educated, that you're informed, that you know what your rights are. And here clearly are the guidelines that have been issued by the Australian Medical Association. Now, we also need to look at the Australian Law Reform Commission. So this is a federal agency that reviews Australia's laws to ensure that private, that they provide improved access to justice for all Australians by making laws and related processes more equitable, modern, fair and efficient. The Australian Law Reform Commission also provides a comprehensive resource about informed consent to medical treatment for all states and territories in Australia. So it states, uh, so it's section 10.47, at common law, all competent adults can consent to and refuse medical treatment. If consent is not established, there may be legal consequences for health professionals. Under the law of trespass, patients have a right not to be subjected to an invasive procedure without consent or other lawful justifications, such as an emergency or necessity. At the international level, the CRPD expresses this in terms of a right to respect for his or her physical and mental integrity on an equal, equal basis with others. So basically it's saying that a healthcare provider cannot do anything to your body unless you've given them consent. And it has to be informed consent. You have to know what are the risks, what are the benefits, and what are the alternatives that you can um, that you can choose uh, instead of going down, you know, the route that's been suggested to you. We also look at the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare. And this, again, is a really important part of recognising what your rights are. So the Australian Charter of Healthcare Rights was developed by the Commission in 2007 and 2008. The Charter was de developed with extensive and widespread consultation and specifies the key rights of patients and consumers when seeking or receiving healthcare services. In July 2008, Australian health ministers endorsed the Charter as the Australian Charter of Healthcare Rights for use across the, the country, so that's nationally. The Charter applies to all health settings anywhere in Australia, including public hospitals, private hospitals, general practice and other community environments. It allows patients, consumers, families, carers and service providers to have a common understanding of the rights of people receiving healthcare. 
The charter found, and this is so important for women to, to know this and recognize this. This charter found that in 2015, between 42% and 60% of planned caesarean sections performed before 39 weeks gestation did not have a medical or obstetric indication. And between 10% and 22% of caesarean sections before, performed before 37 weeks also did not have a medical or obstetric indication. So rates were generally, generally higher for privately funded patients than for publicly funded patients. How mind-blowing is that? Like in 2015, so we don't even have the current statistics here we are, you know, September 2019. We know that between that in 2015, 42 to 60% of cesarean sections performed before 39 weeks gestation did not have a medical indicator to, to have a cesarean. This just blows my mind and it should blow your mind as well. You should be sharing this information and getting it out there and really you know, all of us collectively making an effort to try and reduce the number of unnecessary caesareans in Australia and indeed across the world. Um, we, just, we just have such a long way to go. But, you know, with all, all of us working together and raising awareness, we can make a difference. We also look at the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, so APRA. APRA's operations are governed by the Health Practitioner Regulation National Law as enforced in each state and territory which came into effect on the 1st of July 2010. This law means that for the first time in Australia, 16 health professions, professions are regulated by nationally consistent legislation under the National Registration and Accreditation Scheme. APRA supports the 15 national boards that are responsible for regulating the health professionals. The primary role of the national board is to protect the public and they set standards and policies that are all registered health pra practitioners must adhere to. Each board has entered into a health profession agreement with APRA which sets out the fees payable by health practitioners, the annual budget of the board and the services provided by APRA. So there you see the rights of women in maternity care and childbirth are definitely being protected. So if you feel that someone is forcing you or bullying you or coercing you into something that you don't want to do, rather than you being told that you have a choice to consent or refuse consent or withdraw consent at any time, please speak out, share your concerns. If you don't get any resolutions, go to one of these organisations that I've just mentioned. It is so important that we, again, we're sharing this information. We're telling women that they do have a choice, that they do have rights when it comes to maternity care and childbirth and even, you know, the postpartum period as well. We need women to be strong. We need women to take back their power. We need women to own their birth. Um, you know, and, and I can share this and I can send out those ripples and then we have the next person sharing and sending out their ripples and we can make such a big difference. We can help women to feel strong and confident in taking back their power, to, you know, being empowered 
about their birth, about their choices, about what they want, what their needs are for their birth, to being listened to, to be given, um, given alternatives. This is so important when it comes to the rights of childbearing women, protecting your, your rights, you know, trying to avoid that birth trauma, um, looking at your mental health after birth because we see so many women falling through the cracks. We know that women have, um, you know, so many avenues but they're not aware of it and you don't know what you don't know. And this is why it's so important for women to, um, you know, do their, their research, um, start protecting your, your rights, start recognising that you can refuse treatment without discrimination, without shame or disrespect and that your healthcare providers um, need to support you as a woman and what your choices are, whether they like it or not. Just because a woman is having a baby, it doesn't mean that she loses her voice, her rights to her body or her dignity. Um, so, you know, we all have to make this collective, uh, you know, pathway to sharing with women. Um, you know, if you see women in social media talking about, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. What a load of bollocks. Yes, you are allowed to do that. You have the right to refuse treatment. You have the right to do something different, you know. But again, you all know you've listened to my podcast if you've got to this point. Um, you know, my, my favorite saying is that, yes, we all have choices. And with choices comes responsibility and consequences. You have to own your birth. So you have to own those consequences, whether they're good or bad. You know, and that sometimes can be, you know, what puts up those blocks for women as well. Um, if something does go wrong, you know, could could it have been different if they followed what their practitioner was, was suggesting to them? Um, but we also see women who follow the advice of their practitioners and then they lead into, you know, lots of interventions, lots of, um, you know, under, uh, you know, consequences that have seen their birth deviate um, and not be really positive and then lead to cesarean and that can be really traumatic for women as well so I guess um, you know just in in closing I really want you to have that knowledge I want you to have that education I want you to feel strong and confident about your body about your baby and about your choices you have a choice just because you're having a baby, it doesn't mean that you have no choice. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Back to Basics Birthing. If you would like to get more information about my childbirth education classes, Hypnobirthing Australia classes, fear release sessions, online course, VBAC education, pregnancy massage or any of my other services, please visit my website at backtobasicsbirthing.com.au.